Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time, the second of two shows about aging in the workplace. Perceptions of women as workers often change as they get older. They're not seen as attractive as they were before. And I mean that both physically as well as in terms of the skills that they have. Or they're seen as behind the times. You know, if we have a wrinkle, that's a defeat. If we have grey hair, that's a defeat. And increasingly, I think women in the workplace are feeling that they need to hide these signs of ageing just to maintain a sense that they are still relevant. But having lived a little can pay off career-wise. In many ways, all the life experience I had beforehand helps to inform my practice now and makes my job more enjoyable and makes it easier to understand my clients. Three perspectives on ageing and work, plus ideas for combating ageism, coming up on The Broad Experience. I don't want this show to be depressing, but at the same time, I do, as usual, want it to be real. And the reality is there seems to be more bias against older women in the workplace than there does against older men. Now, I know men face age discrimination too, but what little research exists points to the fact that a combination of factors hits older women who either want a new job or want to keep an old one. There's this paradox that goes on when women are younger. That's Terry Boyer. She directs the Anne Welsh McNulty Institute for Women's Leadership at Villanova University in Pennsylvania. Terry's appeared on the show before, a very early episode, and I knew if anyone was following the research on women and ageing at work, it would be her. Workplaces are obsessed with their potential to be mothers or the fact that if they're going to be mothers, they're not going to be as dedicated to their career, despite the fact that many women don't actually become mothers at all. But then what you see happening about the mid-30s and later in women's lives is the opposite starts to happen. Suddenly, just as many women begin to feel a little freer of home responsibilities than they did, work begins to lose confidence in them for another reason. They're not seen as attractive as they were before. And I mean that both physically as well as in terms of the skills that they have, or they're seen as behind the times or not as committed to their work. So despite the fact that in the beginning, we may have discriminated against women because of their potential to be mothers and be distracted and not as committed, now as they age, we're discriminating against because they're perceived as maybe not as qualified or less likely to be flexible, etc. And the research plays this out for sure. We see um, that women are experiencing an 
intersection of ageism and gender discrimination that men don't seem to experience in the same ways, and particularly around their physical appearance and their health and their perceptions of skill, particularly when it comes to technical skills and their ability to learn and contribute. That's so interesting. So hang on, are you saying that that men, because I know obviously age discrimination can happen to anyone and I know lots of men have experienced it, but are you saying that women are more likely to be thought less technically savvy in their, let's just pick, let's just say at 50 or 50 something than a, a guy of the same age? Yes, women are definitely seen as less tech savvy and less likely to be able to learn the skill. So this is a really interesting piece. Women are in general perceived as less technically skilled as men or more fearful of technology or technophobes, if you will. But as they age, that's definitely something that employers may hold against them where they say, "Mm, she might not be able to be as responsive or up on the latest technologies that we definitely need in our workplace. And so you see that coming back to women and being used as an excuse for their lack of employment or not hiring them or demoting them. The Institute Terry Heads actually has a program called Transitions, where they work with women to help them navigate some of what hits them later in their careers, whether that's demotions, downsizing, not being able to get back into the workforce after a break. Terry says a company will often assume, Oh, she's 45, 50, she's going to want a much higher salary level than the entry level that I'm able to offer her or maybe looking for a kind of compensation package that we can't give. And so I'm not going to hire her here because, you know, she's not looking for the same things that I am. I want somebody fresh out who's moldable, who's um, still young and looking to build their career. Age discrimination is illegal in many countries, but it happens all the time. A broad experience listener in Canada responded to a call out I did on Facebook and she described a conversation just like the one Terry just talked about. She's in tech. She got a call from a recruiter at a global company. But for technical reasons, the woman hadn't been able to view the candidate's CV ahead of time. When the recruiter found out my listener had 25 years of experience, her tone changed right away. She told her she was overqualified and out of their salary range without even asking her what her salary expectations were. She mentioned wanting someone young and trainable. Then when she finally viewed her CV, she realised what a good match she was. But my listener said she was so upset by the call, she decided not to continue with the hiring process. She says she's been working since she left high school, and she's guessing the recruiter thought she was quite a bit older than she is. But the woman's attitude left its mark. The candidate knew that at least at first, she'd been a victim of age bias. I asked Terry Boyer. Has it always been this way? I mean, I know, you know, your knowledge probably goes back a long way about women's status in the workplace, at least in in this country, in the US. I'm wondering, obviously, there are many, there were many fewer women in the workforce in the 1960s, you were more of an outlier if you'd if you'd had a career beginning in the 1940s or 50s and carried it through to the 60s or 70s or 80s. But do you think that this attitude toward aging women has always been the same? Or do you think it's more intense now than it was decades ago? 
I think it's likely more intense now than it was decades ago, and that's because women's the share of older women in the paid labor force is actually growing. By 2024, you're looking at women over the age of 55 representing about a quarter of women in the labor force. So women older women in particular are growing in numbers in the workforce. And so you're seeing a change that increase has only been in the past decade and a half. And so you're seeing a change in the perception of employers and workplaces on how women are in these workplaces and what their skills look like, et cetera. So I guess by their virtue of their greater numbers in the workforce, you're seeing more reaction coming from employers and coworkers. I told Terry about the conversations I'd had for the last show, the menopause show, and about how surprised I was that the UK was all over this idea of destigmatizing menopause at work. They seem way ahead of the US. I think in the States, we see menopause and women's um, transition from fertile to infertile <laughs> as um, something that is a negative. You know, we're so focused on the youth culture here, particularly for women, that menopause is seen as one of those weakness aspects that would highlight your gender. And because of that, because we still don't tie women to the identity of leader, that highlighting something that's about their gender identity would refresh in people's minds that they aren't ready to be leaders or they aren't fitting our ideal of a leader. I think that you know, our focus on youth <laughs> contrasts directly with the idea that you may be aging and that there's physical proof of it. We want to hide that. We don't want any physical proof of our aging in the workforce. Still, Rachel Lancaster of British-based online community Magnificent Midlife says it's not like British women don't face prejudice. There's a lot of shame associated with both menopause and with ageing. Um, if you look at the difference between men and women, I mean, men are silver foxes as they age, aren't they? They don't mind whether they're, you know, a young man or an old man. Men don't fight ageing as women are encouraged to do. And yet everything for women about ageing is seen as negative. Um, and that applies in, you know, life in general, but also in the workplace. So, you know, if we have a wrinkle, that's a defeat. If we have grey hair, that's a defeat. And increasingly, I think women in the workplace are feeling that they need to hide these signs of ageing just to maintain a sense that they are still relevant. When I first met Rachel in London a few years ago, she was running just one aspect of her business, a website called The Mutton Club. In case some of you aren't familiar with the expression, mutton dressed as lamb. Certainly in the UK, women are very, very scared of becoming mutton as they get older. And that goes back to being mutton dressed as lamb. So trying to be younger than you actually are. And I wanted to turn that on its head and make women feel quite pleased actually to be mutton so the whole idea of mutton club was you had to be mutton to get into it you know you couldn't be in it if you were younger. Rachel started the mutton club in part because of her own experience going through menopause at the relatively early age of 41. She found herself completely unprepared for how that experience would make her feel though ultimately it led her to view her life in a completely different more positive way and we'll get into more of that later. 
She is a great admirer of writer and anti-ageism activist Ashton Applewhite. Maybe some of you know her work. You can check it out at thischairrocks.com. Rachel says as women, we nearly all have negative feelings about ageing. How can we help but imbibe what's all around us? We buy into those narratives. We've been fed those narratives for so long. You know, we've, we're sold anti-ageing products in our 20s and, and young girls now are, are having that. And so, you know, it's about changing it, not just for the women who are suffering ageism in the workplace now, but the women coming up. Um, because if they are looking at older women in the workplace and actually perhaps not even seeing them because if we dye our hair we're contributing to making ourselves invisible you know it's not obvious to see us because we're trying to look younger um, or we feel that we have to look younger then those younger women are not seeing older women flourishing in the workplace and maybe they buy into that you know ageist narrative but as Ashton says ageism is prejudice against our future selves. That's, I know, it's such a great way to put it. It's fantastic. Because we're all going to age. I think the, the tricky thing is, it's so hard when you're younger to see yourself as older because you're, so, you're in your life now. And you, you can think maybe five years into the future, but to think 20 years into the future is really tough, isn't it? Well, I did it even at 41 when I went through early menopause. The biggest problem for me was feeling catapulted into middle age because I associated menopause with being a much older woman. I had no idea that it could impact me at 41. And then over time, I realised that, yes, I was being prejudiced because at 41, of course, I was middle aged. You know, I was in the middle of my life. I like the word midlife. Instead of middle age does feel a little old to me, so I talk about midlife. But now I have a completely different approach. I am really proud to be a midlife woman. Why? Because it's brought so much to me, actually, and this is part of the narrative that I want to get across. Um, because, for example, you know, we feel we're losing our relevance in the workplace. Um, we may feel we're losing our value generally in the world and in the workplace. We may feel in competition. Um, with younger women, perhaps, you know, we're struggling to keep up with certain things. But all of that is actually within our control. It's all, a lot, most of it is in our head, because ageism starts between our ears. And if we can actually reframe our own narrative, as you talked about reframing the menopause, but also reframe the narrative about ageing that's in our heads, and acknowledge things like, for example, we have a second creative peak in our 50s. Who knew that? We have a lot of women talk about um, a surge in energy post-menopause, and women don't know about that. When we've gone through menopause, we have a different hormonal profile, and that means that we're actually hormonally on more of a level playing field with men. And therefore, why can't we just go out, start believing in ourselves and start really upping the impact that we can have? It is just that so many of us and society tells us to do this, thinks of it as negative, And I, I don't believe it is. So, so I'm really pleased because midlife has brought amazing things to me and amazing knowledge and capabilities and new opportunities and new people I'm meeting. She's not the only one. Stay tuned. 
you remember what it's like being in your 20s? I sometimes look back at that period of my life and laugh just as much as I cringe. If you do the same, then you've got to watch Queenie, the new original series on Hulu. Who is Queenie? Queenie is a 20-something-year-old living in London. She's facing all the firsts. First major heartbreak, first shitty apartment and soul-sucking job, first therapy session to work through those mommy issues. Can she turn her quarter-life crisis into a revolution? Maybe. Will she make some questionable decisions along the way? Definitely. The new series Queenie is now streaming on Hulu. A couple of months ago, a reader responded to a comment I'd made about ageism in one of my newsletters. She's from New Zealand, and her name is Kate Wiseman. She wrote, As an older newcomer to the law, I find my age works in my favour. People seem to assume I've been doing this for a long time and give me credit far beyond that which I deserve. Which I suppose you could say is a sort of ageism in reverse. But I asked Kate to record a voice memo telling me a bit more about her late in life career. She was at her beach house when she did this, so you may hear a bit of extraneous beach noise. Kate got married pretty young, had a son, and rather than going back to her old area of sales and marketing, she thought she'd really like to do a law degree. So when her little boy was one, she started studying law. But his dad didn't like me being out of the house and not earning money. So I only did one year of my law degree then, and then I went back to work. That was more than 25 years ago. Kate had another son, then got divorced, worked some more, married again, helped her husband run a business, had twin daughters, who were now 16. And when they went off to kindergarten, she decided she wanted to take up her law degree again. So I started that long process. It took me about eight years in the end to finish. But it was a good time because I, I studied um, slowly at first, and then I increased the number of papers I did as the children got older. She worked part-time in law as she went along, and a few years ago, she qualified as a barrister. It's taken hard work to get here, but I've also been extraordinarily lucky in ending up in a very good place and in a good role, which I love. I have uh, great clients and interesting work. And one of the things, and the reason why I'm doing this interview in the first place, one of the things I find is that people just assume I've been doing this job for a long time because I've got wrinkles. <laughs> I'm in my 50s, early 50s. Um, and I understand a huge range of the issues facing my clients because I've, I do a lot of work in the family law area and often with people who have companies um, so I've had my own business. I know what it's like to be an entrepreneur. I've also worked as an employee. I know what it's like to be the manager of a group of people. I've had four children of my own and a stepdaughter. I've been through two divorces and I'm married for the third time, which um, some people might say is a triumph of hope over experience. But so far, so very good. And I find that most of the time people just assume that I have been working in the field for a long time. No one ever questions my experience. In fact, she says quite the opposite. Sometimes her own confidence has lagged that of her client. She was in court for the first time as a newly minted lawyer a few years ago, quaking with nerves. 
And the judge had asked some rather tricky questions right at the very start of the hearing. And uh, my heart had sunk, but uh, I happily was able to get up and answer the question. And my client said to me afterwards that he had listened to the judge and thought, oh no, what are we going to do next? And then he said, and then my lawyer got up and saved the day. And that was such a wonderful thing to hear, especially after my very first hearing. But he didn't know it was my very first hearing. And he still doesn't know to this day, as far as I'm aware. She loves the work she does now. A lot of the time I'm older than my clients. And I guess, again, they just assume that I know what I'm doing. And more and more I feel as if perhaps I do know quite a bit of it, not certainly not all of it. But she loves that about the law, that there's always more to learn. I've been lucky. Coming late has actually just been a good thing. It's not a handicap at all. And in many ways, all the life experience I had beforehand helps to inform my practice now and makes my job more enjoyable and makes it easier to understand my clients. Kate Wiseman in New Zealand. One thing we haven't touched on so far is, of course, that ageism affects women's ability to earn a living. Research shows that women are far less prepared for retirement than men are. They don't have nearly as much saved. And plenty of women in their older years are single. Here's Rachel Lancaster again. The pay gap, you know, kicks in early. It gets worse as we age. We get penalised because we take time out of work to do caregiving, whether that be children or older parents. Everything comes at midlife, so we're carrying up and down. Um, But apparently in Australia, for example, the fastest growing demographic of the population which is experiencing homelessness is older single women. And that's just scary because we need to do something about it to enable women to keep earning in later life. You know, we can't stop, otherwise we're going to be absolutely in poverty in, in older age. We keep reading about how much longer we're all going to live and how in some countries we'll need to work into our 70s or older. But how can we work if companies won't hire us or won't keep us on? I asked Terry Boyer for some suggestions. What can we, I mean, is there anything that we can do about this? There are going to be, it's so depressing to think about this, especially if you are... In your in your forties and, and 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 suddenly thinking about this next push into the fifties, I mean, what is there anything that people can do to combat age discrimination other than you know getting Botox and all that stuff? <laughs> well, right. We if we keep getting Botox, then we're not going to combat the age discrimination because we're going to keep conforming to people's standards of um, perceived youth as beautiful and the highest level of contribution that we can make. I think there are definitely a few things that women can do, in particular, to build employers' perceptions of their worth in the workplace. And the first is to to know your worth, to be able to confidently articulate the sorts of things that you can contribute to your workplace. 
And that's going to require a little bit of self-reflection and understanding of what you can contribute in the workplace. A lot of times, women in particular, they may be able to articulate very well the mission and value of their organization or their department, et cetera, but they don't tend to think of their own leadership value or the own skills that they contribute. And so being really sharp and building into your own development, your own professional development, regularly self-reflecting on what your worth is and being able to articulate that in a manner that comes off very quickly and confidently is something that can be very helpful. The second is to make sure that you're making connections across generations. One of the things that the transitions program that I mentioned earlier um, that we're doing out of our institute does is helps women build connections across the generations. So we have young students, young professionals, as well as women who are mid to late career or even retired, talking with each other and showing that you're able to communicate across generations and understanding the perspectives of others in the workplace. So making sure that you're not attracting yourself only to people who are like you, that you are building those connections across different generations would be really helpful to you. She says those connections should include mentors and sponsors who are willing to champion you and your work. Rachel Lancaster agrees. It's really important to get people mixing both in life and and in the workplace. And it would be really nice to have more mentoring relationships, I think. And the mentoring can work both ways. You know, I have a a mentor who is much younger than me and and helps me on stuff. And then similarly, I'm I'm mentored by, by people older than me. So it can work all ways. And I think having that conversation and then where women younger women in particular, are aware of older women thriving, it helps them relax about getting older and it also enables all of those discussions to to come about. Yeah. Now that's something I think about a lot because I'm sure there have been times in my life at, at work where I have thought uncharitable thoughts about an older woman. I mean, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but I can totally imagine me doing it. I can too, and I think I think I did it. Um, and then when you get to the age that you were being disparaging about, or at least you were thinking negatively about, it's a completely different picture. Empathy is everything. That's the broad experience for this time. Thanks to Terry Boyer, Rachel Lancaster, and Kate Wiseman for being my guests on this show. And I will just acknowledge here that I know age bias works the other way too. I've heard from several of you talking about being passed over for jobs because you've been told you're too young and people won't take you seriously in the role. And I don't want to minimise that experience, but I believe the ageism at the other end of the spectrum is more damaging because it tends to hit women in their prime earning years when they're desperately saving money for retirement. I will post show notes under this episode at thebroadexperience.com. As usual, I would love to hear from you. You can always email me at ashley at thebroadexperience.com or track me down on Twitter or Facebook. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, (laughs) you you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com (laughs) 